Amen. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 21 today. Um, We have been, for the last nine months, in a journey through the book of Matthew, which largely covers like three years of Jesus' ministry. Of course, you got his birth story and all that, but uh, most of what we've been talking about literally for the last nine months has been covering three years. And now for the next three months, we're going to spend time talking about one week. Um, Matthew, the writer of this book, intentionally slows down the, the last week of Jesus' life because everything that we've studied and everything that he's shown in the story so far is going to come together in this final week of Jesus' life uh, before he was crucified and eventually, praise God, resurrected. Um, so today... We're going to explore Jesus' entrance into the city of Jerusalem to start that final week uh, into that city, uh, as well as another parade that we've come to know was happening at the same time that Jesus was entering into the city of Jerusalem for this important week of his life, uh, world-changing week uh, that Jesus entered into the city. So let me pray, and then we'll jump into uh, the text Uh, God, as always, I pray that you would empower the words that I'm going to speak with meaning. And um, I know you've called me to do this, but also just always believe that you work through the mystery of how people hear what I'm saying anyways. So I pray uh, that um, despite even what I might speak of and share about, that you you would do the work that you want to happen through this message today and that it will inspire us all to follow Jesus um, a little bit more. In Jesus' name, amen. So a lot of times I'll walk through the text that we're going to be studying verse by verse and then kind of break it down as I go. Today I actually just want to read the whole thing up front and then I'm going to give you a bunch of context. So I hope that you've had your coffee today. Uh, And then we will get to see this beautiful contrast between Jesus and another parade. So, uh, Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 1, says this, um, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, which is Jerusalem, and uh, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt, which is the donkey's baby, uh, by her, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, uh, if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and that he will send them right away. So he's borrowing, he's not stealing, just to get that going. Um, verse 4 says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, uh, which is a a male donkey that's never been ridden on before, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks. So now he's entering into the city on this donkey. A very uh, large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while while others cut branches from the trees. Those are palm branches. And spread them out on the road. So they're kind of preparing a way for Jesus to come into the city. And the crowd that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted this. 
Hosanna to the son of David. So they're calling him the king. They're, this is a triumphant parade of their king coming into the city. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred ask, and asked, Who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So you got the picture here. Jesus is entering into the city. There's people making a big deal of it, uh, especially with the palm branch thing that we'll talk about here in a minute. I want to give you a little background. So the story uh, begins, obviously, with Jesus going from where he was up near uh, Galilee, Capernaum area, and going down to Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus was coming from Bethphage, which was the east. So he's coming from the east side of the city. Um, and any east siders, any like Michigan, state of Michigan east siders? All right, there we go. I see you. Um, why is Jesus heading to Jerusalem? That's the question we're asking here. Uh, at this particular time in the Jewish calendar, which Jesus was a Jew, a part of that uh, group of people, kicked off the Jewish holiday uh, of Passover. So you've heard of Passover before, I'm sure. Um, it was a yearly celebration of an event that happened approximately 2,000 years before that. So uh, that was the moment when God, through a man named Moses, if you're familiar with that name, uh, set the Israelite people free from Egypt. They were enslaved for 400 years in Egypt, and God set them free. And so they started this festival called the Passover Festival, which marked that deliverance that they had into freedom um, from their oppressors. And so every year, they would have this uh, celebration. And if you were Jewish, you would leave whatever home that you belonged to, wherever it was, to travel to the capital city of Jerusalem to celebrate and remember Passover. So Jesus is on his way to do the same thing everybody, every other Jew is. They're, they're going into the city. And Jerusalem uh, must have been packed with hundreds of thousands of people. There's a historian who was probably exaggerating when he said there was like 2.7 million people in the city. Uh, probably an exaggeration, but a city that normally had around 40,000 people had at least a couple hundred thousand people packed into this city. It would look something similar to that. Um, and the Passover was their Independence Day of freedom, like I said. Um, it wasn't just, but here's the thing, it wasn't just about remembering what God had done, even though that's an important part, right? They're remembering that God set them free, that God is a God that delivers the oppressed um, from slavery and into freedom. But uh, Passover is also described as a Jewish festival. In the festival, you see the word up there uh, in the Hebrew is mikra. Let's just say it, mikra, mikra. Uh, which means to rehearse. So rehearse what? What are they rehearsing? They believed that the festivals weren't just remembering a thing of the past, but that's, that something new was going to happen and that this festival was a rehearsal of something that would happen again. So they're remembering this thing years before that God had delivered them from their oppressors in Egypt. And now, at this particular time, the time of Jesus, Israel found themselves under the thumb of another oppressor, the Roman Empire. And you've probably heard of the Roman Empire, too. They were vicious and effective in their methods of control. There are stories of the Romans lining the streets of villages with crosses, similar to the one that Jesus was crucified on. 
And they would hang the neighbors, the family members, the people of that city that would try and um, claim any other king than, than Caesar. So their message to those people living in those cities was that will be you if you don't submit to the authority and power of Caesar. So every year, if you were Jewish, you would head down for Passover to rehearse a future time. And in this case, when Rome would no longer rule over you. They're rehearsing in front of the very people that are oppressing them a time when that power will no longer be over them. So they would pray, they would dance, they would pray for this new Moses figure that they would call the Messiah, the one that would come to finally save them from their oppressors. And on this day, if you're familiar with the the church calendar, this is what we come to call Palm Sunday. It's the day that those palm branches are laid on the streets and Jesus is, is brought into the city as their king. That's the parade Jesus is coming into. But I want to I want to backtrack for just one second. So before Jesus actually enters in to that parade on that donkey, it says this in Luke uh, Luke's version of this story, chapter 19. Uh, he says, as he approached Jerusalem, Jesus, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if, if you, even you, had known on this day what would bring you peace. Crying is not something that we usually think in association with parades. Unless you're of Dutch descent and you grew up with the Tulip Festival and you had to wear those like painful wooden shoes, <laughs> then maybe. Uh, but, because uh, that parade has been making children cry for hundreds of years. Um, thankfully, my family was not that Dutch that I had to like, be a part of that, but... Uh, This parade is not the Tulip Festival. Uh, So why is Jesus crying? Um, At that time, there was a group of people called the Zealots. These were uh, the people who were flying the palm branches, if you want to show that picture, actually, Bryant. So this is what a palm branch looks like. Um, This was their symbol of vowing to do whatever it takes to take back their country from Rome. That was their flag. Essentially, that's their symbol. Uh, So this group called the Zealots would do whatever it took to try and steal back their country from this invading uh, power, including killing Romans in in broad daylight. And they were returning violence for violence. And the palm branches, like I said, were their symbol. It was their flag. They lined the streets with these flags. It was their protest and their national symbol against the imposing power. So when Jesus looks over the city from a distance, Jesus sees people waving those flags, those palm branches. It says he wept for them. He knew what waving those palm branches meant, that it was a symbol of his people returning violence for violence which from the onset was never God's intention that his people would be a blessing to the world. 
He knew what waving them meant. It represented the same cycle of violence and the fight for power. And he knew, he knew what it would really cost to bring their peace, which is what he does eventually in that week. He gives his life as a sacrifice rather than fighting for his nation back with his people. So in one sense, uh, the palm branch is a cry for freedom from God's people, and he hears the cries of the oppressed. That's God's heart. His eyes are attentive to the cries of, of people. Yet in another, the palm branch represented their thinking that they needed to strike down the Roman powers with the same sort of violence that Rome was striking them with. So it's not technically in our church calendar Palm Sunday, but you can see how it's, it's a little strange when we have our kids lay down branches, even though they, are ushering, they were ushering in the king, right? But the symbol there, too, was a little, it's conflicting. Because their paradigm was that he would violently take back the power of their nation from this opposing force that was there. So Jesus rides in on a donkey into that, weeps for those people before he comes in. I mean, I think it's got to be a couple different reasons, right? The misunderstanding for them about what it would mean to be a light in this world, but also what he would come to face. And at the same time, though, this is so fascinating. Um, We've come to know that while Jesus was entering in that parade, on a humble donkey with that intent to come and serve and sacrifice himself for the world, there was another parade that was happening coming in from the west part of the city. So uh, Pilate was a governor at the same time. Pilate lived off the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, about 50 miles away uh, from there to the west. And Pilate was not Jewish. He was was the governor of this place. Uh, He was not Jewish Uh, So he was not coming into this city to celebrate Passover. He was there for quite a different reason. As the governor, Pilate had two jobs, and you can read them up there. He had to collect taxes from the people and keep the peace at all costs. Peace meaning order under the Roman control. So imagine that your entire job is to maintain order, and now you enter the streets that are literally packed with people singing songs and drinking wine and telling stories of how their God will take down their enemies, rehearsing this, their mikvah. Hmm. So he's got to do something about that, right? His job is to keep peace, collect taxes, keep the order. So every year during the Passover celebration, as the Jews... Jewish people were marching into Jerusalem, Pilate would stage his own march into the city. So Jesus is entering into the east uh, this way, and Pilate is entering into the west. And some historians say that he took with him as much as 36,000 soldiers, Roman soldiers with him, marching down the streets uh, with Pilate on his war horse. And this was a not-so-subtle way of saying Do not even think about it, or we will crush you. Pilate and his army came with horse and hammer and weapon. That they are in control and they have the power. And if you want to try and take it, then you're going to have to come through us. 
And I already said some of the things that they would do to, to instill fear into the Jewish people that if they try, you'll end up on a cross just like that. No hammer time jokes? Anybody? Kurt, I think earlier. Um, Pilate was marching in on his war horses from the west. Jesus is riding in on a donkey from the east. Pilate is riding a war horse with the force of his hammer, and Jesus is riding a donkey offering bread to the hungry. Who would win in a fight? The hammer or the bread? So Jesus wept at the violence and forceful attempts that his people who were meant to be a blessing to the world instead wanted to trade it out to fight hammer for hammer. Which I think is so fascinating when you look at this story and and learn that there was two parades happening that day. If you picture yourself as someone inside of that city, there's always two ways. I'm making a hard turn towards you. There's always two ways. There's the way of Pilate, which is the use of force and control. I remember early in my youth ministry days, um, there was a huge fight in the parking lot that I was uh, working at the church that I was working at. There's probably 50 people. There's cars peeling out in and out of the parking lot. Um, There's a bunch of people watching. A few people literally rip each other's hair out. And I didn't know what to do. Um, So I followed the lead of my pastor at the time and got so much respect for him and his wisdom in moments like that. I I watched him step in, pull the girls apart, And he kept repeating the phrase that there's a better way. There's a better way. He kept saying it. He'd pull one apart. There's a better way. There's parents that are helping kids fight each other. It's a terrible situation. There's a better way. He keeps saying that. There's a better way. We live in a world that often finds itself trapped in the cycle of the use of force and hammer. Maybe not physically. There is that too, but... we can sometimes treat the conflicts and battles that we have in our life as something that we need to fight for with force. But there's a better way. And Jesus modeled it. These different approaches are really about the posture of your heart. There's two ways. There's the way of Pilate, and there's the way of Jesus. And they look drastically different. There's two ways to show up at work. One way uses power and force to remind everybody exactly where they sit in the org chart. And the other serves. The other is humble. The other sees the humanity and dignity in your coworkers. There's two ways to be a friend. One way keeps score. It holds grudges. It, it talks about them behind their back because they deserve it. The other recognizes that even good friends are humans and make mistakes. There's two ways to be in a relationship. One refuses to compromise. One is so certain that they're right that until the other side collapses, you will not give in until they apologize. You will not apologize. The other way, those are maybe the couples that have gotten so past trying to prove themselves and how they're right. 
that they've decided to commit themselves instead to just get to know each other. There's two ways to be a teenager. You can play the game of status and attention and comparing and competing. But there's another way. You can choose not to play that game. You can choose God's voice, the love and approval of God over and above all others. You can let God determine your identity and your beauty and your worth instead of fighting tooth and nail for the attention of your peers. There's always two ways. And if it's not clear already, I think the invitation to us today is to choose the way of Jesus. No matter what the area of your life might be. And as you do so, here's some so simple to just read to you, but I know terribly difficult things depending on what conflict you sit in the middle of. You can ask for help. You can apologize. Or you can ask sincere questions. Or you can try to do it the other way and you're going to keep hurting people and you're going to keep hurting yourself. The hammer is never going to work out the way that you think it does. I'm speaking to a mirror right now. (laughs) We all have this tension of trying to win with the hammer or trying to serve and humble ourselves. And as we try and figure that out together, I just want to offer again here to you as your pastor, I'm here for you to, to help process how to live into this, how to live into the Jesus way versus the pilot way. It's so appropriate today that uh, it was during the same week that Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem to give his life uh, for hours that that he gave us a, a beautiful practice to remember him by. Communion is all about the reconciliation between us and between God. It's all about God making a way back to himself and therefore paving way for us to reconcile to each other. Let me read these beautiful words. I, I, I read this in a sermon a couple weeks ago, but it has such beautiful application here too. Before I read the communion text, Paul says this in, in Philippians chapter 2, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ, who in the in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather... He made himself nothing. That's what his parade is all about, right? Taking the very nature of a servant. Jesus is so worth following. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness so we can actually look at his life and do what he did. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, Jesus, Jesus showed us the way of love and reconciliation on the cross. 
So, when we celebrate this sacrament, we call it, big Christian word, we do so remembering that Jesus came to bring a new way. And none of us get it perfectly, but here's a reminder to all of us, like, choose the bread over the hammer. Choose the way of Jesus over the way of fighting for your own power. It says this in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and he began to give thanks. And let me just give God thanks a second before I break it. Lord, thank you. Thank you for showing us a better way. And this story is just one small example of it, but to see the powers of this world held up side by side through the war horses of Pilate and the humble donkey that you rode in on, you you came to change the world with an upside-down way, and that was to love the world in spite of their hate for you. He took the bread and said, This is my body which is for you, do so in remembrance of me. And he took the cup in the same way after the supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of the new covenant of my blood. That Jesus' blood would actually make a way for peace. Whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's quite strange that Jesus defeated death, defeated violence by letting it take his life. But that's just the beauty of it. God God would not let him stay dead. He was the perfect sacrifice for us all. So let's pray before we receive communion together here, Lord, that you you did what only you could do. You entered into humanity to become the the perfect sacrifice for us so that a new way could be paved, that we don't have to live into the cycle of violence. You entered into the suffering with us So that through your love and sacrifice, we can follow your way to serve the world, even as it's very difficult sometimes when we rip each other's hair out, when we misunderstand each other, when we think or speak unkind thoughts. I pray that this moment right now, Lord, will will be a re-engagement for us to Remember that you made peace with us. You initiated it. You went first. We received that, Lord. And from there, like it said uh, in the verses we just read, that in our relationships with each other, we follow your lead. We join your parade to bring love and reconciliation and loving service to a world that sometimes maybe wants to pull our hair out. But Lord, I pray that we would look to you and not the hammer. We look to your example to serve and love a world that often even in our very homes can want a fight for power. We, we just surrender that to you right now. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So if you uh, believe...
in Jesus or if you want to uh, come forward. We have two different ways you can do this. Um, we have these little cups and the bread is on top. This is gluten-free for anybody who might need that. And the juice is down there. You can also take a piece of bread here and dip it into um, the juice there. We like to, to offer it this way for you for, for a couple of reasons. That you can come up with your family if you want. You can circle up with some friends. Um, however you want to celebrate this beautiful symbol, uh, the table is ready. I invite you to come forward.